I hope you have all enjoyed the warm weather that we finally got this week. And I hope that that same warmth can come into this building as we open God's Word. And I thought it fitting with the green trees and the green grass and all the blooming that we could look today at a standalone sermon in the book of Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to open them with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, just there on some of the opening pages. We're going to read just the first day of creation in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and then we're going to conclude with what God said after the sixth day of creation. But the entire message this morning is rooted in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible, which says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. And jump to the last verse in verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. This morning, I want to talk to you on the topic of being created, but not complete. Created, but not complete. Let's pray one more time. Father, we're so grateful to come into your presence to hear your word speaking to us today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would not only be with my words, but with every heart in the congregation, that they would hear the voice of Jesus this morning and every uh, member online, that our hearts and minds would be filled with your love. And so we ask for your presence and every distraction of this last week that we put it aside, that our eyes and our hearts may be fixed on you. This is what we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this morning, I have a confession to make. I've been told that confession is good for the soul. And so I'm going to share with you a confession that I have a problem with the Genesis account in chapter 1. Now before you throw me out as a heretic, let me be clear that my problem is not with the historical, literal, six-day, 24-hour consecutive event. Because if my problem were with the literal historical event here in Genesis chapter 1, then think of it for a moment that sin would not be the result of man's disobedience to God, but rather it would be God's plan through macroevolution to create the world. But still... I have a problem with our account here in Genesis chapter 1. Not that it's a literal, historical, six-day, 24-hour uh, uh, continual event. Because if that were my problem, then not only would the sin problem be destroyed, 
but we would also have no need for a savior because death would be the natural result of how God wanted things to be. And the death of Jesus wouldn't be paid on behalf of our sins, but would just be a death like any other. I have a problem though with this creation account. Not that it's literal, not that it's historical, because if that were the case, then sin, that issue would be wiped away and the need for a savior, that great sacrifice would not be relevant. On top of that, but the entire teaching of scripture, all of the authority of scripture, if Genesis is not a literal historical event, then all of scripture and its authority is wiped away. But still, I have a problem with the account here in Genesis chapter one. Not that it's literal, not that it's historical, because just to reiterate, then sin would not be a problem. There would be no need for a savior. The authority of scripture would not uh, be what it is. And also just to mention that we would deconstruct human sexuality so that anyone could say whatever they wanted about gender and about sexuality. And why not add that the need for the Sabbath would also be eradicated? It's no wonder that God has called the Seventh-day Adventist Church in these last days to preach the gospel in the context of the three angels' messages, which tell us to worship the God who created the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and the springs of water. But still, I do have a problem with our account here in Genesis chapter 1. And here's my problem. That from day one to day six, God allowed his creation to experience emptiness, to experience a lack of fullness, to experience a vacancy that seemed to persist for an unnecessary period of time. Think of it with me for the moment that on day one, God said, let there be light. And there was light. But space was still empty of a sun and a moon. God waited three days to fill space with the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. God permitted an emptiness to persist for three days. On day two, God created the the sky and he created the sea. But on day two, it remained empty. That God waited three whole days until day five to fill the sky and to fill the sea with birds in the air and fish and all the great creatures of the deep. My problem is this emptiness between one day and the next. Uh, Think of it in day three, God created the land and the earth and all the vegetation according to its kind and the uh, fruit seeds according to their kind. But for three days, until the sixth day, that earth remained empty and not full. Until the sixth day, that when God finally got around to it, he created the animals and he filled it with the wonderful creatures that we see today and he, he formed man in his own image. And so my problem with the creation account 
isn't that it's literal or historical, but it's this emptiness from day one to day six. And I think my issue with it is more uh, about, uh, less about the actual order of how God created it and the emptiness that God allowed in Genesis 1 from day one to day six. But I think the problem I resonate with the most is that you and I, people who are created in the image of God, who love Jesus, we experience our own emptiness, our own lack of fullness, and our own vacancy within our hearts. That it's not just people in the world who struggle with fulfillment, but people who follow Jesus also struggle with fulfillment. And sometimes we busy our heads and we busy our hands, and yet our hearts remain empty. I mean, think of it. Even Adam, when he was created on day six, God brought all the beautiful animals to him. You know, I imagine him there. There's a dog. There's a boy dog. There's a girl dog. Whoa. Hey, there's a panda. There's a girl panda. There's a boy panda. This is awesome. There's an elephant. Boy, girl, donkey, boy, girl, monkey, boy, girl, me, boy. No girl. And he, Adam, even on a perfect day like day six, God permits him to experience what it is to be missing out. And you know, as Christians, when we experience these feelings in our life from not feeling fulfilled or feeling like there's a vacancy in our heart or this emptiness that we're trying to fill, Sometimes we turn to the things of this world and the culture and the identity of this world to find some kind of fulfillment in our life. You know, I grew up uh, not in Canada, even though I'm Canadian, but uh, I grew up most of my life in North Carolina, where the summers there are seriously, seriously hot. Uh, it's been 15 years since I've had a summer in America, in the southern region of America. I've been in Canada for the last 15 summers. And guys, our summers here in Maryland are dreadfully hot, aren't they? It's like mission trip hot. You go outside and I think like, where, where did you send me, Lord? It's so hot. Uh, growing up in the Carolinas, are even, it's even hotter. And uh, my friend and I, we were playing outside one day and uh, enjoying, you know, the, the, the day because when I came home as a kid, my parents didn't let me, uh, they didn't let me come inside and watch TV and play video games. Uh, they welcomed me home. They said, good to see you. And then they kicked me right outside and said, go play outside. I'm grateful for that, but it was hot. And one day my friend and I, we were playing outside and he was getting super hot and uh, his name is Nelson. I asked him if I could use his name. His name was Nelson, and he was getting so hot. He's like, I'm so thirsty. And you know that feeling in your mouth when your mouth is dry, and it's just like, ah, I need some water, and your stomach is messing with you. He, he was saying, I need to go find some water. So he's uh, in the driveway, and he notices in the garage that it's open, and that there's a bottle of water uh, that it looked like in the corner of, of the garage. So immediately, you know, he says, ah, give me a second. And he goes to the corner of the garage. He grabs the bottle. He opens it up and he starts to gulp the water down. My kids are little and I can hear them drinking from, you know, across the sanctuary sometimes. Imagine that, like the loud drinking. 
And then as he's going halfway through and he's almost finished drinking the water, his eyes get big and bright in a bad way. And he goes into the house and his mom and dad have this pale look on their face because what he thought was a bottle of water ended up being a bottle of paint thinner. And he had just drank over half a bottle of paint thinner. I don't know who put paint thinner in a water bottle, but they did. And uh, obviously they had to call the doctor. And fun fact, if this ever happens to your kids, make them drink a lot of milk, a lot of milk. Somehow that counteracts the poison of drinking paint thinner. And he was okay. He was fine. Uh, He's a lawyer in Indiana right now. If you need help, he'll help you. (laughs) Uh, But I'm saying this story because in our life, we experience emptiness. We experience this thirst that we want to quench. And often we look at what the world has to offer us and we run to our bottles and we gulp them thinking they're going to help us, thinking they're going to fill us, thinking they're going to give us satisfaction and this thirst quenching for our soul. But they leave us feeling more empty and in a worse place than when we first started. Uh, In our passage this morning, the Bible is very clear that God not only creates, but God calls. So on day one, he created the light. But then he doesn't leave the light with that ambiguous name. But he says, I'm calling the light day and the darkness I'm calling night. God creates a vault in the, in, uh, in the atmosphere and the waters below, but he doesn't only create, but he calls, he identifies, he gives a purpose for why they're there. The, 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 the vault above, he called sky, the waters below, he called sea. When God created land, he didn't just call it land, he called it the earth, and he gave it fruit according to its kind. He created, he called, and he gave it an identification. And in our world today, uh, there are different narratives on what God's calling is or what our calling is supposed to be in life. So on the one hand, to make it very clear, we have the calling of the world and the calling of culture. And on the other hand, we have the calling of Christ and the calling of the word. And sometimes when we are feeling empty, we go to our culture to try to see what it says to try to fill our hearts and our lives with meaning. This was no surprise uh, in even Moses' day when he wrote the book of Genesis uh, because the creation account here in Genesis chapter 1 isn't the only account of creation that the ancients had. In fact, there was an older creation account, uh, a Babylonian epic by the name of Iluma And this account had a a lot of similarities with our creation account here in Genesis chapter 1. There's chaotic waters. There's the creation of mankind. It's the same event, but it's a completely different story. Where in Genesis 1, the crowning act of creation is God creating man in his image and putting him on a pedestal to have dominion over the earth and to rule over the earth, man and woman together. The creation account in the Babylonian epic is quite different because man's creation in their cultural time was an afterthought. 
The gods had gotten into a fight. They had obliterated each other. And out of the wreckage of their body parts in this uh, Babylonian epic, they created mankind, not for the purpose to rule, but for the purpose to serve the gods. And I'm saying this just to say that in our culture today, just like in the time of Moses, there are different callings and identities that exist out there. There is the calling of Christ, and there's a the calling of culture. There's a the calling of the word, and then there's the calling of the world. And a lot of the time when we have this emptiness, we go to the culture to try to fill our emptiness. And one of the ways uh, I think we do this um, is by how we first introduce ourselves when we're meeting a stranger. Uh, I don't know if you noticed that in Maryland uh, here, we introduce ourselves in a way that's different than most other places that I've been. So if you're traveling to, you know, if you're in Canada and Alberta where I was from and you're trying to talk to someone and get to know someone and see how they're doing, you'll notice their family. Say, hey man, you have a beautiful family. I'm so glad you're here. Like, tell me about your family. Tell me about who you are. Uh, or, you know, if you're traveling somewhere else and they can see that you look different than them, they'll say, hey, tell me, tell me where you're from. Tell me like your ethnicity. You don't kind of look like you're from here. But I kid you not, every time here in Maryland, when you meet someone, there's one question that they ask and they ask it really, really quickly. Do you know what it is? They say, what do you, what do you do? That's the first question that they ask when you come here to Maryland. And it kind of presents this idea that your calling and your identity is in your career. That your importance and your uh, worth is in your job title. Um, but if that were the case, if that were actually a biblical concept, then what would it mean for everyone who's under the age of 25? Do they have no calling? Do they have no identity? If that were a biblical concept, what does it mean for you when you retire over the age of 65? Do you no longer have a calling? Do you no longer have an identity? See, the problem with allowing the culture to dictate how we try to fill our hearts and our mind is that eventually there's going to come a point in our life that we no longer have a career either by getting fired or being transferred or retiring. And if all our identity and our calling is caught up into our career, then we will be sorely disappointed. I remember uh, when I left uh, seminary and I got moved up to the college there at, in Canada. Uh, one of the things I like to do when I'm new to a place is talk to the old pastors who had been at the church to kind of gain some context. And one thing always really bothered me up there because... One of the pastors who had been working there for 17 years, he decided to retire. He had just turned 65. He was in the prime of life. He was strong. He was healthy. He was the best preacher in Western Canada, and I might even say all of Canada. He had been there for 17 years. The young people liked him. The church loved him. He was awesome. And I remember coming up to him one day and saying, Pastor Ron, why did you retire? Like... What's the reason behind it? And I remember him, you know, thoughtfully looking down and then giving me an answer. And he said, you know, for 16 years, I've been pastoring this college church. And every year I see young men and young women graduate who I know are called by God into pastoral ministry. 
And he said, every, every year that I stay in my position is a year that they don't get into theirs. And I was like, wow, that's why you were at a college church for 17 years. You get it. But then he kept talking. And this is what really, really struck me. He said, he said, and by the way, even when I'm retired, I can still preach the gospel. Even when I'm retired, I can still give Bible studies. Even when I'm retired, I can still visit the people in the church and travel and, and do mission. Just because I retire, that doesn't mean I still don't have a purpose in life. And I love it because he didn't say it in his words, but he, he spoke it in his philosophy that there is a difference between your career and your calling. There is a difference between your job title and what God has for you in this world. And so much of our time and effort is spent trying to fill ourselves with the culture and the prestige and the, and the identity that the world puts on us rather than filling ourselves with what God really has for us in our lives. That we settle for a career when God wants to give us a calling. And we don't just do it in our career, but you'll hear in our society today that your top priority should be your sexual identity rather than being a child of God. You'll hear in our, in our culture today that your top priority should be your social activism or your political affiliation rather than being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You're going to hear it everywhere you go that the calling of your life, the things that are going to bring you meaning are going to be your ethnicity and your tribal group or your social economic status. But God says that your calling is as a follower of Jesus. And we settle, we settle for what the world says is important while going our whole lives missing on the calling of God in our life. You know, I remember there was a time as a young adult where I had the freedom, you know, not to be placed at a church. And I would come to church, and this was at Pioneer Memorial, where there's the best Adventist preacher for the pulpit that, that ever really has existed in the last 50 years. Dwight Nelson, one of the best preachers. I'd go to Sabbath school, you know, with my kid who was just born. And the best Sabbath school that I've ever seen in Adventism for my kids. And after a time, all I was doing was coming and listening to the best, but I wasn't engaging in the mission of the church myself. And I can tell you that even though I was believing all the right things, attending seminary and, and, and hearing the best things, even coming to church became an irrelevant experience for me because all I was doing was listening instead of accepting and following the call that God had me, call had God, the call that God had for me to do in that season of my life. God not only has created you to be important in your career and in your family and in the, in the world, but God has a special mission, regardless if you're employed by the church or not, that only you can do. And when you discover what that is in your life, in your relationship with Jesus, I'm telling you, that is when you can have fullness. That's when the emptiness can be filled. That's when the vacancy begins to vanish away. But still, there are times and there are seasons, even as we follow God's call in our life, that we experience emptiness, that we experience a lack of fullness, fullness 
when there's a vacancy in our hearts? What are we supposed to do when we're doing everything God wants and we're, we're even accepting his calling, but he's completed us. I mean, he's created us, but he isn't quite complete with our lives. What do we do? You know, the Bible, I think, in a roundabout way, gives us uh, the answer. Because every day that God finished a day of creation, he steps back at the end of the day and he has a judgment call on what he had made. Even though he had created it and it wasn't finished yet, God stepped back at the end of the day and he made a judgment call. And this is what he says over and over and over. It, it was good. That even though it wasn't finished yet, it was good. Even though God hadn't formed the earth in completion, every day he could say, it was good. And that from day one to day six, even though there was an emptiness that still needed to be filled, God could say, it was good. And I think in times in our life when we struggle with feeling full or we're wanting more purpose and we're feeling like things are, are not as meaningful as we would like, we need to adopt the attitude of God that things might not be finished, but they're still good in our life. We might not have the health that we want to have, but things are still good. Our families might not be in the circumstance that we want them to be in, but things are still good. We might not have the church that we want it to be, but things are still good. We might not be the disciples that God will one day make us, but God sits back and he looks at you and I and says, you know what? You're still good. You're very good. And that we need to adopt this perspective in our life that even though things aren't complete, even though things aren't perfect, even though the sound might mess up sometimes, things are still good and God is still good. And I just want that for you because I would hate for you to live this life filling yourself with the ideology and the calling and the identity of the world and never experiencing the goodness of God, even when things are not perfect. The Bible says that he who began not any old work, but a good work in you will make it complete in the day of Christ Jesus. The Bible says that all things work together for good for those who are, love God and are called according to his purpose. And I just want to encourage you that even if life right now isn't complete, even if you're not where you want to be, there is still good and God is still good. And I pray that you can adopt that perspective. You can see the calling of God in your life and you can accept what he wants for you rather than what the world is throwing your direction. Thank you for listening.